Hi, you're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekhar Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey folks, uh, welcome back to another episode of The Retail Perch. I am Shekhar Raman and uh, I have my co-host Gary Hawkins here. Gary, how are you doing? Great. How about you? Very good. Very good. I think, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I saw that on Groundhog Day, our little groundhog came out and saw his shadow. So it says six more weeks of winter. So I guess <laughs> and and you've been getting some winter back there. I guess so. I guess so. So we're waiting for this winter to pass and so we can get out in the sun again. Anyway, so we're here to talk about, you know, some of the news that's happening, some of the new stuff that's been happening. It's a new year and 2021. There's already been some significant news that's come out about forecasts about what's going to happen in 2021. So, uh, Gary, I know one of the things that hit the headlines here a couple of weeks ago was a, at least, at least in the New York Northeast area, was the Price, Chopper, and Tops merger, right? Yes. And, you know, that brings together two fair-sized chains, uh, you know, Price, Chopper based over in the Schenectady, uh, Albany area, Tops headquartered over in the Buffalo area. They, they meet in the middle, you know, Syracuse, give or take, is where they overlap. But each in their own markets is, you know, a relatively strong player. So it's an interesting combination, you know, makes some sense. And you think this is happening because they're trying to kind of uh, stave off the competition? They've got some stiff competition in the area coming from somebody like a Wegmans? So I, I think there's several things at play here. You know, one of those, and this has been written about for a while, that being in the middle is an increasingly tough place to be. And, you know, there's there's nowhere better to sort of showcase this than talking about those two players in that market, right? You've, you know, when you look at the uh, sort of upstate across upstate New York market over in Massachusetts, you've got Wegmans across that market operating what are typically defined as pretty high-end stores, great shopping experience, great assortment, big stores, et cetera. And then you've got a lot of activity at, at the other end, right? With Aldi and Save-A-Lot and uh, Price Right, Wakeford's uh, banner in that market. And that, that middle is an increasingly tough place to be. So that may be some of the competitive factor that, that triggered this combination. You know, I think another factor is supermarket retailers have had a tremendous last 10 or 12 months but they're beginning to now come up and and begin to overlap when the pandemic kicked in last year and sales exploded, right? All the restaurants shut down and everything. So I I think we're gonna see a number of retailers struggle for their organic growth when they start overlapping some pretty significant numbers from a year ago. Interesting, and I guess this is a byproduct of the phenomenon that we're seeing, which is number of shoppers at a store have gone down, but their basket size has gone up because people want to visit fewer stores to complete their shopping trips. And I guess, you know, it could be a smart strategy. Of course, we're completely speculating. We have no idea what the facts are. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there were more like this happening in strategic areas where two smaller chains are getting together to kind of fend off a larger here. I think we will see more activity like this around the country, different markets, as you were just saying. And what's happening is you know, at the end of the day, there are so only so many people out there. There are only so many shoppers and, and customers out there. And competition in supermarket and in grocery really has moved to that customer or shopper level. You know, in Tops and Price Sharp, you've got two retailers, both have had longtime loyalty programs. 
So I'm sure somewhere in this whole process, they matched up their databases and, and mapped customer households and so on. And, you know, brought that perspective to the table. Interesting. We'll watch out what happens in the rest of 2021 to see if any, any more of these mergers happen. Next article here, very interesting. Gary, I know me and my wife go out often to eat. And, you know, typically when we go out to eat, we love to eat seafood wherever possible. Uh, but I'm seeing some reports that seafood sales have surged in supermarkets. And I guess it's because uh, people aren't going out of restaurants as much. They're missing that gourmet seafood and they're buying all the specialty seafood that they typically wouldn't buy. What's, what's your take? Do you, do you think you've bought more seafood? Maybe a little bit more, but with for the most part, just two of us now, we tend to either just sort of pick whatever we've got in the house or go out because here in Denver, you know, restaurants are open, limited capacity, but, you know, there are places to go out to or get takeout or whatever. But I, I think that you're right. A lot of people have been missing seafood in their diet because so many restaurants and so many markets across the country have been closed or very limited capacity. And certainly even if they've got outside dining with heaters, when it's five below zero, Dead heaters just not going to do it. So I think that's driven. I think maybe the other piece of it too is people have become, I think, much more health conscious and nutrition conscious, right? In view of the whole COVID 19 thing and interest in eating well and bolstering their immunity and, and so on. So that, that may also be a factor in this. That's interesting. That's that's a really interesting angle. You're right. And, you know, and seafood is generally considered healthier, right? Yes. Uh, than other meat. So that, that's interesting. And I'm gonna certainly get back to our analytics folks, see if they can dig out some data so we can bring back to the show. That'd be interesting. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know not just sales, but the number of customers, you know, buying seafood across some of our retailers. You know, we've seen an increase there. Have we seen an uptick in purchase frequency, dollars, et cetera? Cool. So if you if you are buying more seafood, let us know. Maybe we'll uh, you know we'll corroborate the statement of our, our conjectures <laughs> here. All right. I see e-com is continuing to surge, right? So it looks like 2021 is going to be another big strong year for e-commerce, uh, grocery e-commerce specifically. No yes. surprises there, right, Gary? Uh, no. I well, I I think the surprise is that retailers are expecting. Uh, e-commerce to continue to grow, right? You know, we, we certainly saw an explosion, you know, beginning 10, 12 months ago when the lockdowns first started, online grocery just took off and it stayed that way for a long time. And then my sense was later in the year, fall in the winter, it, it began to plateau, even dip a little bit at some retailers as I think people got more comfortable with going out albeit with masks and everything else. I think in-store picked up a little bit, but now online is, is back growing again. Nearly every retailer I talk to is really studying their whole e-commerce capability. The pandemic certainly was a stress test for every retailer. It exposed a lot of gaps, weaknesses, you know, where they could better improve their service and so on. So nearly every retailer looking at that and how they can strengthen that and preparing themselves for even more growth. It's interesting. And I think I'm curious to see what part Instacart is going to play in this growth. I mean, clearly, I mean, there's been speculation in the market about Instacart filing for an IPO sometime this year. And obviously they've seen some tremendous growth and to their credit, they've been very instrumental in driving uh, online grocery sales. I mean, now I think it's a divided house when you when you talk to retailers about, you know, whether they're excited about Instacart or not. 
But the fact is, from a consumer perspective, it's made grocery e-commerce simple, right? You know, we can all argue till the cows come home whether this is good for the industry or not. But I think the fact is, it's undisputed that from a user perspective, it's been it's been a boon for many yes, shoppers. Absolutely. And, you know, you have to give Instacart credit, right? They saw the market opportunity and jumped into it. And in many cases, Instacart allowed a lot of retailers to dip their toe in the water or get involved in online without having to make a massive resource commitment, you know, themselves, right? Sure. And so that's what got a lot of retailers into the game. But there is growing speculation on, I'm seeing an increasing number of articles and, and hearing people talk about this. There is a growing expectation that Instacart is going to become a competitor and go direct. Currently, there's conversations going on with several of the micro-fulfillment center solution providers. I'm hearing speculation on Instacart securing leases in different markets across the country. I would not be surprised to see them try to go direct because I think Instacart has got to do something as they head towards an IPO to justify that massive value you know, number right. that they have, that right. valuation right. they have. Because alongside that, there's a growing number of retailers that have used Instacart that are now looking to get away from them and, and either right. you know, supplement it with their own white label solution and, and capabilities or completely replace Instacart. Right, right. So what you're saying is you don't see a lot of retailers looking at Instacart as a long-term solution for their e-commerce uh, platforms, right? Correct. So they're all thinking about how do I get into the game myself and how do I build my own platform, right? Yes. I, yeah. I guess it's, this all probably also brings in another interesting point, which is, you know, with the surge in grocery sales on online, I guess a lot of platforms that have been out there have also been stress tested. So maybe there's going to be some shifts in providers, right? Where a retailer has not necessarily been happy with a their current vendor yes. and has decided that I got to do something to change this. And so you see some. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm seeing a lot of retailers stepping back and, and wanting to understand what the other capabilities, who are the other solution providers, you know, what do they have? What should we have? Whether they make a change or not remains to be seen, but there's a lot of retailers that are evaluating what's out there in the marketplace. Right. I think as we go through this, we're also going to see a consolidation in the number of online shopping solutions that are out there in the market. As, as you know, there's been a lot of them that right. have come into the market you know, over the past decade, and quite honestly, too many of them. I think we're right. going to see that consolidation. Oh, it actually uh, but, brings me to the point of, uh, you know, we didn't talk about it, but the NCR acquisition of, of FreshOp. Yes. So that's, I guess, a, a case in point where NCR is obviously a big player and point of sale and loyalty systems and acquiring an e-commerce provider kind of broadens their portfolio of services that they can bring to a retailer. That's right. It gets NCR in a growth market. E-commerce is going to continue to grow. I think, you know, as I thought about that, I think another interesting perspective is as certainly as e-commerce grows, but as we head towards the day when we're going to see more and more of this Amazon Go type technology in the stores, you know, just walk out technology, whether it's, you know, cameras, computer vision, whether it's smart carts, there's going to be a less and less need for that traditional point of sale system, taking up a good chunk of space at the front of the store. All that hardware, all those checkout lanes begin to go away. Where does that leave someone like an NCR? Right. Interesting. Interesting. So well, anyway, we'll, we'll keep uh, tabs on that, folks. Very interesting. 
But I think what they're projecting is 2021, we're going to see $100 billion yes. in online grocery sales. That's a big yeah. number. So it's, big it number. is absolutely you know accelerated and it looks like it's going to accelerate again. All right, coming to the next topic. And I think this is this is something that we've tackled in some of our shows before. And uh, by the way, we're on episode number 22, Gary. 22, wow. we managed to do 22 of these. So, <laughs> uh, but this is a topic that we've tackled from multiple dimensions. I think uh, this is about transparency. And I've seen some articles out there about initiatives where re- supermarket retailers are putting in more effort in providing sustainability and transparency of where the product was sourced. So, you know, and I, and clearly this seems to be very important for the millennials, uh, especially yes. who seem to care a lot about sustainability and transparency uh, along with wellness, right? So I think yep. this whole data transparency, you know, it's it seems like people are more concerned about where is this product from? How was this manufactured? What's in it? Before you even talk about branding and price. Yes. Yeah, and it's it's all of those things you just mentioned. I, and I think this holds true across really any age group right now. People don't shop like they used to 10 years ago or, you know, past that. You know, you make a list, go into the store, I need milk, I need peanut butter or whatever, and you worry about what brand or specific product you're going to pick up when you're in the aisle. Today, more and more people, as we were just talking about with seafood, right, are interested in their, their health their diets, nutrition, and that translates to, I want to know what's in that product I'm eating. You know, we, we see a growing number of people on special diets, either from a life, lifestyle perspective, you know, vegetarian or keto diet or whatever, or driven by a medical condition or a health condition, right? Like diabetes or other things. And so this, this data transparency is quickly becoming a, a requirement, I think, for retailers. Yeah, and it almost seems like, you know, trust is the new currency, right? So yes. trust is, is the currency of retail anyway. And, and I think more so for now product manufacturers, CPGs, uh, I mean, the greater transparency they can provide in terms of where the product was sourced, how it was manufactured, uh, did they use fair marketing practices, fair manufacturing yes. practices, yeah. and even a label. How true is the label? Is it really, are they trying to gimmick you into buying right, the product? Right. Right, uh, using traditional advertising methods like glitzy colors and nice fonts and fun yep. things on the packaging. Seems like because of the access to data, transparency is really come to the fore, which kind of brings me back to another topic. We talked about last week, we talked about the customer intelligence platform and we talked about personalized wellness. And it seems to me that more and more, as there's more data elements that go towards a, a consumer making a decision of our product, the retailer really needs something that can pull this information together to truly understand what motivates a shopper to buy a specific product. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. Because what motivates any particular individual customer, I think many times goes far beyond simply a, a brand name and a price, Right. That, that people are looking at things like where was this manufactured, the sustainability score of it, what's in that product, uh, all those type of things are all becoming factored into that purchase decision. And I think the, the battle as we continue forward is not going to simply be understanding, you know, brand loyalty or discount propensity or these types of things. It's going to be looking beyond that to really try to, at a much deeper level, understand what's important to that individual customer and be able to provide that and say to that customer, you know, we know you, 
right? Right. And, and that speaks to this idea of this customer intelligence platform, because there is so much data out there, more every day, right, coming in from a growing number of sources that all has to be brought together and built in such a way to provide those types of insights. And that's not an easy thing to do. Right. And, you know, and it, certainly the technology exists to do it. But I think what a lot of retailers struggle with is, of course, legacy technology that they have. They, yep. you know, pulling data together and having the right kind of compute power and uh, also talent, or really, oh, to pull yeah. it all together to make these uh, usable, right? So, I mean, yes. you know, I think product attribution data exists, you know, and I think there's lots of blockchain companies now coming up with a sustainability and data transparency in terms of, you know, seed to, you know, shelf yep. type of yep. process. So it's, it's a question of whether the retailer is equipped to leverage that data to understand shopper behavior better, right? Yeah, and bring all that data together in such a way as to create that really sophisticated customer profile, be able to mine that for understanding and knowledge around each individual customer, but then also do it in such a way that that data can be provided to different digital touch points and saw where it can be needed to be uh, used. So it's a complex picture. Actually, it's, it's, it's fairly exciting because I think when uh, retailers do manage to pull all this data together and provide that information, I think as a consumer, I mean, in the end, to make this all usable, obviously the consumer is not going to go through loads of data to buy one product. They want a simple mechanism to be able Correct. to make these decisions. So there is going to be opportunity for startups and companies to come up with a way of simplifying that decision process for a customer where they know that, okay, this product is sustainable. It's good for me. It's healthy. You know, it's at a decent price and I'm going to make a decision. And so, because I don't see consumers sitting and doing research and understanding on every single product. Ultimately, somebody has to put this together in terms of some kind of standard, which is easily digestible for a consumer to make a decision. That's right. There's far too much complexity there for the shopper to go mine through all this. I think we're going to see the shopper either want to create a, a profile one time, maintain that, and then let the, the retailer provide back based on that profile, or the retailer provides sort of a recommended profile based on here's what we see you buying, you know, we think you're interested in a keto diet or whatever it might be, right? And the shopper can adjust it from there. But I, I think there's a big call out here. And, and I see retailers getting confused around this whole notion of what we're thinking of and describing as customer, customer intelligence and more basic sort of personalization solutions. You know, and, and too many retailers thinking, well, gee, you know, I, I put a personalized marketing solution in space so I can send out a personalized ad each week. I'm good. You know, I'm in the customer intelligence game. I'm going to move on to the next thing. Right. Without understanding and realizing the complexity and sophistication that is really at play here in the background. And it's keeping that complexity in the background to make it really easy for the customer. Which kind of brings us to our final topic here for, for today, which is nothing related to retail whatsoever. <laughs> not yet so, anyway. Yeah, not yet anyway, not yet anyway. But I don't know if you folks have, out there have heard, but there's a new social media on the horizon that's taking the world by storm. And it's called Clubhouse. And it's unlike any type of social media I've ever seen, Gary, because it's not about posts and content. It's about live audio chats. And Gary, you've spent a little time on it. What, yes. What's your take? 
Yeah, I think it's absolutely fascinating. And I think it it addresses a need we as, as human beings all have, right? The need in, to interact with other people. A lot of that need has been sort of put in the box over the past year through this pandemic, having to be locked in, not go out and so on. Uh, I, I think Clubhouse offers a really interesting take on this that goes way past, as you just mentioned, you know, more traditional social media, just postings into live audio conversations now where you can actually be present, interact with other people on a live basis. Maybe what they're tapping into in part is fulfilling that need we have as human beings. And I'm going to give you guys a quick synopsis of what Clubhouse is. But before I do that, a couple of disclaimers. Uh, it's only available. It's an app. It's only available on iO on iPhones. Okay. It's still in beta. And there's still a few glitches, but you know. So if you have an Android device, I'm sorry, you can't get on Clubhouse. In fact, I've heard a lot of people decided to go buy an iPhone just because they wanted to get on Clubhouse. But the synopsis is this. Okay. Clubhouse. Think of it as a virtual hallway filled with rooms, uh, and uh, these are rooms where people are having conversations. Uh, and each room has, is divided into two parts, people who are on the stage and people who are in the audience. People who are on the stage have a mic and can speak, and the people in the audience can listen. And the person who starts the room is called a moderator, and they basically control the conversation in the room and the topic and so on and so forth. Now, just like you can in a physical audience, you can put your hand up and the moderator can, moderator can bring you on stage. You can have a conversation. And, you know, I've been in some rooms and just... Uh, you know, a side warning here for somebody who gets on Clubhouse is that it can be a massive time vacuum, vacuum time <laughs> suck. Okay, and I'm and I'm and I'm guilty of that, but because partly because not because it's entertaining, partly because I've learned so much in the time that I've been there. I've interacted with an amazing set of people. Second thing you want to know is Clubhouse is not open. You have to have an invite to be able to join Clubhouse. Okay, so if you know somebody who's on Clubhouse, and and typically people only get three invites at a time. So you got to use it sparingly and you only earn invites after a certain amount of time. But the reason we're telling you about this is because we are planning to move retail parts. We'll continue with the podcast episodes. We'll still put out one a week, yeah. but we're planning to open up a couple of rooms on Clubhouse where we can have live discussions. So you're right now sitting in your car, you know, wherever you are listening to us speak and you really can't speak back to us. We can't have a conversation, right? But on Clubhouse, we're going to put out some times that retail perch is going to be available on Clubhouse. You can join Clubhouse at those times. We can have a lively discussion and we'll have a lot of experts with us on the stage. And, you know, it'll kind of be like uh, you're in a conference where you can have an interactive conversation. So I'm really looking forward to that, Gary, because I yeah, think no. you know, we'll finally get to meet the audience, so to say. I agree. This is going to be exciting. I'll be at Clubhouse so early on. How many people are now part of Clubhouse? I mean, I heard crazy numbers, but I heard like, like like there were a million people who joined last week. And this is, yeah. remember, still only on the iPhone, it's beta, and it's invite only. Invite only, yes. Right? So so the clamor for getting on Clubhouse is massive. I mean, I there's no question that this is the next big social yes. media platform. Uh, and so if you're a retailer out there or a vendor and you want to interact with other entrepreneurs, other innovators, CPG companies, I've heard CPG companies on Clubhouse. Yeah. Uh, I've heard, uh, I haven't seen too many retailers on it yet, but we plan to kind of launch a forum and a club and a room where we can have these conversations with retailers and everybody can benefit, right? It, it's an, it's almost like 
You know how Neo did it in Matrix? He wanted to learn how to fly the helicopter and he plugged in a cartridge and then yep. he learned how to fly that. It's kind of like that. You you enter a room in Clubhouse and an hour later, you're like so much wiser because you're able to interact with these people. So we're going to put this on our website. We'll probably put it out in an email newsletter, letting you know when and where you can join us in the Clubhouse room. But uh, we're looking forward to that. This is exciting. Yeah, this, this is going to be great stuff. All right. So I think that kind of brings us to the end. This is a great conversation. There are a few more topics that we could have gone through here, but I think, you know, clearly there's lots happening in retail, lots happening in the world. You know, we should have, we should be having a few more interesting episodes coming up here, folks. But I wanted to thank Stephanie Doherty, who week after week uh, puts up with me and Gary and cleans up this podcast <laughs> and actually makes sure it's available on all these platforms. So thank you, Stephanie. And she always winds up editing this part out. I don't know why, but I want to make sure that she keeps it in this time. Okay. Uh, so thank you to Stephanie and Gary. Any closing thoughts? Uh, no, just uh, I think exciting times ahead. I think 2021 is shaping up to be a uh, really going to be a fast paced year. You know, given the activity we're seeing only six weeks in here, there's a lot going on. Retailers are really uh, beginning to embrace more innovation and change and you know the world just in general is moving faster so we're going to put out some kind of notification on our website on the retailperch.com about our availability on clubhouse more importantly if you do manage to get onto it you got the app and you got into it make sure you follow gary and me because that way if we start a room you'll get notified and you can join in all right so with that we're done for this week gary it's been great chatting with you and we'll see you guys again next week yeah. talk to you soon Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off. <laughs>